morning again, church, and as you have a seat, whether here or online, open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1 as we continue in our series, Living Faith. We're going to continue in the book of James and see how James unveils to us, shows us that faith without works is dead. So as believers in Jesus Christ, our faith should be living, it should be active, it should be moving, it should want to leave the four walls of this sanctuary and be excited to live itself out in our homes, communities, our jobs, our schools, wherever that may take us. Our faith is not dead. Brothers and sisters, there's, there's a reason why every week before I preach, I open up the same way. And I open up with similar words like you've heard a lot of things this past week. And the reason why I open up like that before we open up God's word is because, y'all, we, we come in from the world having heard a lot of things. We come in from the world having heard a lot of thoughts and ideas and opinions. And we are tempted as God's people to sort of think that when we approach this time in the word that it's just another idea or just another thought or just another opinion. Saints, it is not. Every other thought, every other opinion, every other idea submits itself and it bows down to the word of God. This word stands above every other word. So brothers and sisters, you've heard a lot of things this past week. A lot of ideas. Sure, you've had many conversations. Heard a lot of opinions. But now, brothers and sisters, hear the word of God from James chapter 1. Look at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, 
this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Keep one unstained from the world. There are passages of Scripture that just preach themselves. This is one of them. But they gave me 50 minutes to preach, so I got to use all 50 minutes. Let's pray and ask God for his help this morning. Indeed, Lord, you are stronger. You are stronger, and Lord, we need you to be. We need you to be stronger than our own hearts. We need you to be stronger than our own minds. We need you to be stronger than our own deception that would make us like that man who looks in the word and then leaves unchanged. Lord, be stronger this morning. We need to hear from you, not just hear from you. We need you to work a change in our lives. We entrust this time to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, just simply three points uh, for your hearing this morning. The first point is this. Be quick to listen. That's simple, right? The, the text sort of gives us our point for this morning. But notice how James opens up in verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters. James is getting ready to say a lot of hard things, a lot of straight things, a lot of things that cut to the point around. But understand, saints, that this is coming from a place of love. This is coming from a place of intimacy. This is a hard word coming from a brother who loves us. My dear brothers and sisters, how much sweeter is a hard word from a dear friend? That's what James is going to give us. My dear Brothers and sisters, so as we work our way through this text and as James cuts to the quick and as I get passionate, just remember what James says in verse 19, dear. And as I proclaim God's word to you and as I look at your faces here and kind of look at your faces online, hear that word that you are dear to the Lord. And since you're dear to the Lord, he doesn't want to leave you where you are. He wants to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. But, brothers and sisters, sometimes he has to take us through the fire in order to accomplish that. Dear brothers and sisters, notice James is going to give us a paradigm, y'all. He's going to give us a paradigm for community, whether it's in church, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children or your parents or your friends or your neighbors. James gives us a paradigm for community. And here it is. Simply put, everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Notice as as we read here in the text, James says, be quick to listen as opposed to just hearing. The word that James uses here for for listening, it it implies, brothers and sisters, more than sort of a physiological capability of hearing words coming out of people's mouths. Listening is different than that. Listening is sort of leaning in, and the goal of listening is understanding. I remember... Vividly, a conversation I had with my dad. It was one of those times I was a hard-headed junior high kid, and he sat me down to have a conversation, and my dad looked at me, and he said, Son, do you, do you hear me? I said, Yeah, Dad, I hear you. I wasn't, I wasn't hearing him. And he said, I, I know you hear me, but are you listening to me? That's the difference. I, I heard words coming out of his mouth. I saw his lips moving, but I was not listening to him. So James gives us this definition as we work our way through the book of James. The definition of listening is this, hearing with the goal of understanding. Hearing with the goal of understanding, not hearing with the goal of rebutting. Not hearing with the goal of answering back. Not hearing with the goal of using their argument against them. James says, I want you to truly understand when you listen. You ever had a conversation with someone? And as you're talking, you can tell they're not listening to you. They're just waiting for their chance to reply. You ever been in that situation? Some of y'all may be laughing. You're like, yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what James is getting at. You're not, you're not listening to a person saying, man, I hope they would finish up with this word so I can get my word in. No, James is saying we're, we're sitting there and we're, we're quick to listen. Our whole disposition is like, help me understand what you are saying. Not I. See what, you, see what you did there? I'm going to use that word against you later on. I heard what you said, but I'm just listening so I can reply to you. James, no, James says, no, sit in it. Listen. And, and the goal of listening is to understand your brother and sisters. But you can't be quick to listen if you're quick to speak. Those two don't go hand in hand. If you're quick to listen, James says you have to be slow to speak. The word here James uses is the word sluggish. You ever seen a slug or a snail move across property or territory? It takes them a long time to get there. And that's what James says as he gives us this paradigm for community. We ought to be quick, rapid to listen, but we ought to be snails and sluggish to get a word in. Every time I hear the word that James uses 
for sluggish, I always think about this clip, and I don't know why. A little far from home, aren't you? Garden snail. <laughs> hey, I think we got a crier here. Let's do this. I got this one. Oh, I got this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. This is me. Time to go, Theo. Ready? Sluggish. Everything around you is telling you to get your opinion in. Everything around you is telling you to get your word in, let your voice be heard. But folks, Christianity is not like the world. Everything around you is saying, voice your opinion, say something. You've been quiet for too long. And James is like, yes, that is the goal of Christianity. You are sluggish to say anything. Why? Because you're preoccupied with listening to your brother or sister in the Lord. Everything in you, as you are recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, should have this disposition of, man, I want to say something, but I'm just going to sit and listen for a while. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. But typing and pressing enter is considered speaking. It is not excluded from the category that James is talking about here. And so if James says, be slow to speak, it applies to your Facebook account. It applies to your Twitter account. It applies to your social media. James says, if we were to make a modern-day Stephen Love translation, be quick to listen, slow to post. Be quick to listen, slow to comment. Brothers, James isn't telling us to never speak. He's just saying it should take you a long time to get there. Like the snails in that race. Oh, they, they want to go fast. But, but everything about their creation causes them to go slowly. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And then sort of a natural connection, James says we should be slow to anger as well. Saints, there, there is a connection between talking a lot and being quick to anger. And James draws that connection sort of seamlessly here. The the more we talk, it seems like we speak and we lose control. That ever happened to you? Or am I the only sinner in this room? You start talking and then your, your lips move away with you and it takes you to a place that you never intended to go. Like, man, those words are coming. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> Speaking so much, talking so much that we don't realize that the people around us are holding their noses because of our spiritual halitosis. This is what happens when we're driven 
to anger because we speak so much. Again, James isn't contradicting the Apostle Paul where, where Paul says, be angry and sin not. James isn't saying you, you should never be angry. What he's saying is that it should take you a long time to get there. Ask those around you. Here's an assignment for you. Go home and just ask those around you, hey, do you think I have an anger problem? Do you think I get angry quickly? And if they respond and they say to you, yeah, and then you turn into the credible hawk, you know you have an anger problem. That you've answered your own question. Slow to anger. But you might say, Stephen, well, man, Stephen, I'm, I'm angry, but I'm righteously angry. I'm angry about the right things. I have the, the anger of the righteousness of God. And James assumed that you would say that. Because he goes on in the text and he says, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. If it wasn't COVID, I would have you look to your neighbor and say, my anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So if you're watching at home online, you can do this because you're all in the house together. Look to your neighbor at home and say, my anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We are fooling ourselves if we think that in any given moment, our anger is pleasing to the Lord. Listen, saints, God... God is a lion. He is omnipotent. He is stronger. He is the creator. He doesn't need your anger to accomplish anything. That's why James says it never accomplishes the righteousness of God. God accomplishes his righteousness according to the world in a backward sort of way. He accomplishes it through the meekness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He accomplishes it through the death on Calvary. He doesn't accomplish it through your anger, but he does accomplish it through your love. This is why you know, Christ makes the statement. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Christ said, you want, you want to sum it up in an easy to package sort of take home with you application. You take all the law and the prophets and you put them together and it's love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, James is saying your anger doesn't accomplish anything. Oh, but when you love folks as you love yourself, that accomplishes much. It accomplishes gospel moments. It accomplishes gospel opportunities. But man, if you're looking at your neighbor and you're angry because of their lifestyle choices, you, you know, writing graffiti, I don't know if you're doing that. You shouldn't be doing that if you are on their walls or looking at them strangely. Or What, what is that accomplishing? Not the righteousness of God, but, but love. It, it sort of weaves itself in and gives you an opportunity to say, well, let me now tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. Let me now tell you about a Savior who, 
who died for all your sins and takes all of them away. Let me, let me tell you about a Savior who doesn't require that you change your lifestyle in order to come to him. But that he comes to you in the midst of your lifestyle. And he sort of redeems it from within. Love does that. So verse 21 is huge, therefore. I've said it before, whenever you see a therefore in your Bible, you got to see what it's there for. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Therefore, James says, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Speaking without thinking, quickly doing it, quickly to anger, zero to 100 in like 2.5 seconds. That's everywhere. The world is known for that. You see it. I see it on a regular basis. It is everywhere. The world does not need more Christians who talk a lot and who are angry all the time. The world doesn't need it. James, man, I tell you that the word of God is living and it's active. The the more we sort of go out into the world, the more we see Christians who are easily going astray. And James like, no, brother, come back. No, sister, come back. The world doesn't need you to talk so much. May your words be few but powerful. May your anger be slow, minimal, but may your love be great. James says, rid yourselves of moral filth, evil that is so prevalent. Look, James doesn't beat around a bush. Not listening and speaking all the time, becoming quick to anger, Y'all, that's not a hiccup or a personality idiosyncrasy. That's not who you are. James says if that's your disposition, you are evil and it's filth. Man, that's a hard word. Remember, James says, dear brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, if this is what describes you, then that is simply moral filth. And he says, it's already so prevalent in the world. May it not be prevalent in the church. Rid yourselves of it. Get rid of it. Put it aside. You don't need it anymore. Went home for Thanksgiving. Was that two weeks ago? Last week. Went home for Thanksgiving. And my brother, who was older than I am, you know, he he think he's looking good because he's losing weight, right? So he, he losing weight, and what does he do with his bigger clothes? He gives them to me because I can fit them, right? And so he gives me these bigger clothes, and he says, Stephen, here, man, I got this jacket. I got these pants that I can't fit anymore, but I know you can, fat man. That's what he says to me. And he hands his clothes off to me, right? The reason why he does that, the reason why he rids himself of those clothes is because, brother, so they, they don't fit anymore, They don't fit. And and that's what James is saying in James chapter 1. We get rid of that moral filth. We get rid of always having the last word. We get rid of being quick to anger because as Christians, those clothes should not fit us any longer. We've outgrown those in a sort of weird way. Outgrown is sort of the opposite of the illustration I was trying to give. But you get the point. We've outgrown them. They don't fit. You rid yourselves of them. But simultaneously, you don't just get rid of those clothes. You you put on new ones. 
So James says, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Don't go walking around with no clothes on. You walk around with the word of God, fully dressed in it. Rid yourself of that, but put on the the word that is implanted, that is able to save your souls. In other words, James says, stop talking so much and listen to God speak. Stop being quick to anger and, and listen to how God turned his anger away in Jesus Christ. This is what James says, hey, get rid of that, but, but humbly receive the implanted word. Why? Because at the end of the day, James says that is going to save your very souls. Not what you say, not your anger, not what the world does, but the word that God has written to dear brothers and sisters that is able to save our very souls. Quick to listen. Second point is simply quick to act. These these are action words that that James is giving here in James chapter 1. You know, saints, there's there's a deception that, that takes place that, that hearing the word of God is enough. There's a deception that happens. That, that merely hearing the word of God is enough. Like, oh man, I read my Bible today. That's enough. Or, oh man, I read 10 chapters of God's word. That is enough. Saints, I can stand up here and, and preach the best sermon you have ever heard in your entire lives, and you might leave this place thinking that since you heard a great sermon, it is enough. Listening to the word, listening to good preaching, having a podcast set up where you're listening to the best preachers throughout the entire word, saints, is not enough. James says you have to act upon it. God isn't wasting his breath when he's talking to us. He wants to change us. He's he's not just interested in a good conversation. He wants to change your heart and life. I've been been involved in a conversation with a a saint man who's, who's been around good preaching for like 45, 50 years reading the word for 45, 50 years, Lord, may it not be so, and nothing ever changes? That's a deception, that merely reading the words of Scripture without simultaneously praying, Holy Spirit, make these words change my very heart and acting upon it. You can sit in the sanctuary for the next 15 years. You can read your Bibles for the next 15 years, but if you're not having the posture of, Lord, change me as you speak to me, nothing will ever change. We'll look back over your lives. Think about, man, I've been in church my whole life, and I'm still the same. Been in church my whole life, I still speak so rapidly. Been in church my whole life, I'm still so swift to anger. It's not a lack of the Spirit's power. It's a lack of action. That's what James says. Be quick to act. Gives this wonderful illustration. There's this rare disorder. As a matter of fact, James uses a word in Greek that this disorder comes from. It's called face blindness. Like you can see a face and immediately forget it. 
That's the illustration that James gives us in the following verses. You, you look into the mirror of God's word. He shows you yourself. And you walk away forgetting what he just showed you. How many of us coming to, coming to gather this morning, if you're at home watching online, I'm sure you didn't get ready. You're probably still in your pajamas. Praise God. That's okay. Coming to gather this morning, you looked in the mirror, got yourselves ready, put on a nice little outfit. None of you, none of you would have looked in the mirror and saw a big old lint ball in your hair. Looked at it and then walked away like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to gather like this. I'm not saying you have to come here perfect, but man, nobody does that, right? You, you see it, and immediately you're like, I got to get this lint ball out of my hair, out of my beard in my case, right? Nobody does that. You immediately see an error. You see it, and you want to change. But James says, in a lot of us, there's this condition of face blindness. We see it, but then we leave the word of God forgetting how God just exposed us. If God is going to expose you, brothers and sisters, it's for the purpose of changing you, not just to expose you. God isn't sort of this, this weird glutton to, to, to invict harm or pain or just to expose us for no reason. No, when he opens us up, he wants to change us. So as you're reading God's word and you see, Lord, man, this is so convicting. In that moment, don't run away to, to the next best thing. Say, Lord, change me. Change my heart been dealing with this for so long. Lord, would you, would you please just change me in this? I imagine that's some of us right now. Some of us may have gotten out of the car this morning. Man, you're quick to speak. Quick to, quick to get a word in. You had to get the last word in before you walked through the doors of the church. Some of us may have left our house this morning angry. Quick to anger at somebody in our house. So quick. We got there so rapidly. They said one thing, and we turned into the credible heart quick to get there. And right now, God is exposing you. He's showing you yourself. So, saints, I don't want to just move past it. Let's just pause. Let's pause for a moment. And go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is me. That's me, Lord. I don't want to look back over my life 20 years from now and struggle with the exact same things because I'm unwilling to change. Let's pause for a moment. Just ask the Lord, I don't want to be quick to speak. I want to be slow. I want to listen. I want to be slow to anger. Lord, be in this moment. Let's pause and just ask the Lord to change us. Lord, you are able. James continues, and he says, after you've looked at your face in the mirror, after God has shown you yourself, don't stop looking. He says, look, in verse 25, 
Now look intently at the, at the perfect law of freedom. This, this word intently that James uses, it means to stoop down and to look closely at it. You ever see something on the floor that you don't recognize? You got to get down and say, what is it? You got to get closer to examine it. That's James says that should be our posture with the word of God. In other words, have your face in the book. Get close to it. Examine it. And I love that James calls it the perfect law of freedom. Oh, man, that's that, again, that's contradictory to the world. Laws, as much as we see them, are to take away our freedom. Oh, another law is taking away our freedom. But James says the law of God brings freedom. We are slaves to God, and that's the freest we will ever be contradictory nature of Christianity, look perfectly at the perfect law of freedom. The law of God, brothers and sisters, if you haven't experienced it for yourself, the law of God brings freedom, not bondage. Law of God brings freedom. Slow to speak isn't bondage. It's freeing you from that tongue of yours that has the power to burn down every relationship in your life. It's not bondage. It's freedom. Being content with what you have is not bondage. Being content with what you have is freedom. It's freeing you from the emptiness that the next best thing is going to fulfill anything in your life. It won't. It's not bondage. It's freedom. Gathering together as God's people is not bondage. It is freedom to understand that we're not alone. Some other saints in this room all who are quick to speak and quick to anger too, and I need them in my life. Christianity is a community project. Walking with the Lord is a community project. It is freedom in that regard. And James says it's the perfect law of freedom. You look into it, and you persevere in it. How you sit in it, you let it marinate for a while. Lord, I, 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 got, this, I got this verse this morning. I'm just going to chew on it throughout the day. Just, just put it to memory so that one day it may come back up and change me or give me victory over temptation. Lord, I'm just going to chew on the perfect law of freedom. Quick to act. Don't be like the man who sees himself and then turns away as if nothing is wrong. Next, James says, quick to purity. Man, I, I love and hate how straightforward James is. I love and hate verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, man, his religion is useless. He is deceiving himself or herself. If you can't control your tongue, that's not the power of Christ. That's not the power of the Spirit. Your religion is useless and you're deceiving yourself. I, James uses the word control here. It's, it's the word they use for a bit or a bridle they put in a horse's mouth. And I don't know anything about horses, y'all. I don't know anything about horses. But I did watch Magnificent with Denzel Washington, 
and I saw him ride a horse, that makes me an expert. Right? And I remember a scene, he's riding that horse, and that bit's in that horse's mouth, and he's controlling that horse, and he's galloping along. That's what they call it, galloping. And he's in that horse, and he's controlling that horse. That's what James uses as controlling our tongue. There should be a bit or in our mouths that the Holy Spirit has access its reins. Don't say that, Stephen. I know you want to. Don't say it. I know you think that'll win the argument, Stephen. Don't say that. I know you know it's a hot-button issue. If you say that, oh, man, you're going to get under their skin. Don't say it, Stephen. Hold it back. Bring it back. Sometimes we want to. Flesh, the old man, rises up, and we, we want to save that thing because we know that's, that's going to end it all. Because it just that we should use that controls what we do. I don't know why they taught us in school, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they never hurt me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it's the furthest from the truth. More people have been hurt more deeply by words than any broken bone. And yet, we have Christians with the audacity to say things like, oh, you're too sensitive. I said something to hurt you. That's, that's your fault. It's not mine. That's, that's the world leaking into our ears that what we say doesn't matter. And it does. James says, and he's going to say over and over again, this isn't the only time, saints, he's going to say it again over in chapter 3, your words have the power to burn down forests. Men have controlled wild animals, but they can't control their tongues. Destroyed relationships, marriages have been ruined by tongues out of control. Parents and children's relationships have been ruined by tongues out of control. Church members in the body of Jesus Christ where love is supposed to win the day have been ruined by tongues out of control. By the Holy Spirit not having access to the reins on your tongue. And again, I don't know who needs to hear this, but typing and pressing enter is speaking. James wants and the Spirit wants access to that part of your life as well. That should come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Should be reins upon that thing. If your tongue is out of control, man, your religion is no good to you and it's no good to anybody else. You're deceiving yourself. I don't want to be deceived, saints. That's why James goes on in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, how hypocritical we can be. With the same tongue, we bless our Lord. We bless our Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Man, how hypocritical we can be. Remember growing up, whenever I used to get in trouble, and I was a lot, my parents would always say to me, see, Stephen, man, you got too much time on your hands. 
You just sit around and think of foolishness. You got too much time on your hands. So James says to the Christian church, he says to Redemption City Church, maybe the reason why our tongues are out of control is because we have too much time on our hands. James says, let me help you. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Pure, pure and undefiled religion. James has given us the key, y'all. I, I love that Jeremiah says that, you know, the secret things belong to the Lord, but that which he has revealed belongs to us and the generations after us. Like, I think sometimes we want to know the secret things before we want to know the revealed things. Lord, I want to know the secret. Lord, tell me when you're coming back. I want to know the exact moment and the exact day. James says, you worried about that and you forgot about the orphans and widows. You worried about this secret plot that is happening every single where, but you forgot about the orphans and the widows. It's like my mom said, y'all got, you got too much time on your hands. Imagine, imagine, brothers and sisters, just imagine with me. Imagine how much time you would have to curse your brother and sister if you're busy thinking about the thousands upon thousands of orphans in the city of South Bend, thinking about them, serving them, caring for them. How much time would you have to, to curse somebody else? Imagine with me, just, just one second, how much time would you have to, to curse your brother or sister if you were busy thinking about in this season, one of the loneliest seasons throughout the year, one of the seasons that brings the most depression. How much time would you have to talk about somebody else if you were busy serving widows during this season? Folks, we have lost someone this past year. I imagine you or I wouldn't have much time to, to argue about and, and bicker about mask or no mask. I, I imagine you and I wouldn't have enough time to compare the numbers of COVID to the numbers of flu and think that everybody's out to get us. I imagine we wouldn't have time for a lot of things if we obtained a pure and undefiled religion before God. And that is to look after orphans and widows and saints. We don't live in the city in which those people groups are minimal. There are myriads and they are legion. Go home. Say, how do I help orphans in the city of South Bend? So before you, you, you do that post, just, just slide over. How do I help orphans in the city? Before you make that comment, how do I come alongside widows in the city of South Bend? James says, this is pure and undefiled. Man, it, God, how do, I, how do I live a religion that you acknowledge is pure. James gives it to us. Yeah, as, as Christians, this is a justice issue. We should be concerned about leaving the four walls 
and having a living faith. The orphans in the city, they should know the name of Redemption City Church. Widows in the city should know the name of Redemption City Church. Oh, if we would just covenant together. Enough time for foolishness. Enough time for conversation that means nothing. I want a pure and undefiled religion. Lord, we have too much time on our hands. Not only that, James says, keep oneself unstained from the world. I don't know about you, but throughout this whole text, man, I need Jesus Christ. I know, I know I I can't do this on my own. I know that I speak too quickly. I'm a preacher for heaven's sake. Get too quickly to anger. I'm an idol. My, My theology is an idol thinking that I accomplish the righteousness of God. My anger at anything. Man, I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I've forgotten about the people who Jesus is concerned about, the orphans and widows. And Lord, I I need Jesus because the world has stained me so greatly. And James says, undefiled religion is keeping oneself unstained from the world. Lord, how do we do that if it's not for the blood of Jesus Christ? How do we accomplish any of these things. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And I imagine as the Lord used James to speak, I imagine that after we open up this cup and take of this juice, that that not be the end of it, that we would leave this place with our souls and our hands and our feet on fire to obtain a pure and undefiled religion. Lord, wash me of my sins so that in the overflow I might bless someone else. But I need Jesus. So we celebrate. We, we take of this bread represents the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was broken for you and I because we fail so often and so greatly at these things that God had to send his only son, the one whom he loved, to pay for the sins of you and I, to pay for the, un, the, the very much defiled religion that we offer up to God daily. He sent his son to pay for these things. So that now because of his death, because of his substitute on our behalf, we can read the words of James and not be shackled, but be freed by him. An undefiled religion. Christ says, whenever you do this, whenever you take of this bread, you, you do this in remembrance of me. So saints, in remembrance, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let's let's commune together. In the same way, the scripture says he took of the cup. And scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there's there's no taking away of sins. Man, if that's the case, I I need the blood of Jesus Christ. I need his blood to, to wash me and purify me, to make me whole, cleanse me. Same way he took the cup. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's commune together.
Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that on one hand we can hear the challenging and convicting word of James, and on the other hand, we just cling more closely to the cross. Lord, help us. We need your help. We need your power. We need your strength not to become stagnant in our faith, not to become complacent in our faith, but Unleash us, O Lord, to love one another, to care for one another, to help each other, to grow each other. We need need this, Jesus. We ask it in the only name that we can ask it in, the only name in which there is any power to accomplish any of these things. It's the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.